G'day and welcome back to The Good Sesh. I make this podcast at my home where I live and work on Bunurong Country. I acknowledge Elders past and present of all of Australia's First Peoples and I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded on these lands. My name is Joel and I'm the founder of Big Little Brush, a social enterprise based here on the east side of Melbourne. We sell beautiful bamboo toothbrushes and donate half of our profits to support health and hygiene programs in remote parts of Australia. This podcast is my excuse for having good yarns with good people doing good things. This episode is an absolute cracker. I had a chat with one of my favourite contemporary creatives and thinkers, Bo Miles. He's a parent, a filmmaker, an author and a self-described backyard adventurer. If you've never watched a Bo Miles film, definitely go and queue up a bunch on YouTube right after this podcast because they are spectacular. They say you should never meet your idols, but Bo is a dead set legend and this was a real treat. I hope you enjoy. G'day, Joel. Well, I get that question a whole bunch and I like or I try to give different responses to every one of them in fact i don't even try it just comes that way because week by week i i hope to think i'm a different kind of person and it's based on um and i don't say that to be hip or to be uh intellectual uh, i say that because um you know last week i was uh, oh i had the flu right this week i'm back to being a dad and i was a dad last week too but it, last week was like digging your hole every morning and <laughs> feeling with mud and you know, shit and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Last week was hard, right? So I would give you a very different definition of Bo last week than this week. Um, you know, this morning I I played with my little eleven uh, week old daughter with my two and a half year old daughter being very noisy in the background. That is all consuming, right? So if I'm mm-hmm. to say anything, Joel, what am I now? I'm I'm a, I'm a I was a dad this morning, and then I come into this little room, a four by four meter garden shed, and I'm a filmmaker writer again. Uh, well, administrator this morning. I've been doing emails, but <laughs> point being, I, I don't know what I am, mate. I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a pseudo adventurer. I'm a writer. I'm a filmmaker. I, I just try and keep busy. I try and keep thinking. I try and keep challenging myself. And mm. I've got a great life. I've landed in a massive purple patch. Mm, that's awesome. Um, so I'm a big fan of your work. I came across your films probably uh, 18 months ago in the thick of some pretty gnarly lockdowns, um, which we're all experiencing here in Victoria. And uh, one of the things that really, I guess, came uh, through for me earlier was that um, adventure is kind of everywhere if you go looking for it. Uh, and that includes your backyard if you want it to. So self-described backyard adventurer, you've written a book on that topic. Um, do you find yourself adventuring close to home, further from home these days, now that you're a parent, you've got two little ones in tow? Yeah, they certainly redefine everything. And and it's interesting that you say, um, do you or can you define adventure as being backyard or local or whatever? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think any descriptive word that humans have, and uh, the tens of thousands of them that are out there, mm-hmm. they are all completely up for grabs. Uh, uh, they're all subjective in, in many respects. And especially now that we've gone beyond so many of us have, not all of us, but many of us have gone beyond the need to find shelter and food and and love and warmth and all that stuff. It sort of comes to us now that's a bit of a it's a bit of a normality of being human is to have those things. As soon as you chalk them up, then um, we've got a bit more space in our day-to-day and our brains to think about 
the remarkable brain we have and, and to reinvent things and to think about how perceptive the world is based on being human. Mm-hmm. And so adventure, like any word you care to cook up, I think is, is up for grabs to, to redefine it or to just come up with your own definition of it. And mm-hmm. look, I had a certain adventure definition. Absolutely. In fact, when I first was taught adventure education, when I was 19 years old and it was part of a, a degree, it was defined. It was, and even now it's defined as something that's slightly risky, that it's challenging and it's at the forefront of someone's thresholds. I, I totally put that up for grabs. You know, mm-hmm. that these three clean, neat things fit into this other box. Uh, adventure is anything you want to make it, Joel. Um, and yeah, look, while I, I, I'd love to get out and about locally, that's my whole shtick these days. You know, I'm looking forward to going somewhere further afield too. So I, I've got to be careful that I'm not just a backyarder these days and that I can, when someone invites me to go and give a talk somewhere really cool, I can take the family and go do, do something over there. And wrap, uh, wrap adventure into it. I, I get that. So it sounds like your definition of adventuring has changed even, you know, recently and changes day to day. Yeah, definitely. Um, or probably my my critical nature of things. And you can bang mm-hmm. on too much about it, you know, but <laughs> too bloody, uh, what is it, neoclassical, new vogue, <laughs> don't be too modern, mate. Just what, what is it? I mean, because, look, I am still fundamentally searching for those things that they say classic adventure is, is, Sure. Is that challenge and that little bit of riskiness and edginess? I, I love all that, but um, mm. I can you can kind of have that in a run as well. And I wouldn't yeah. classify as, as as a run going for adventure. And yet I'm sort mm. of seeking that when I go into the bush for ten k's. Mm. Yeah, I find that even just doing a new thing with my kids can be that new adventurous kind of experience when it's the first time we're both experiencing something. You know, we uh, recently did a, a little trip up north to Queensland with the family and, and there was a whole bunch of new stuff in that for us. And, um, you know, it's like every moment can be adventurous or different or challenging or exciting if you're kind of open to it. Um, I've heard well, you... It's, oh, it's, well, it's a really good point that you think with the kids thing because um, there's a lot, there's so much that's hard about parenting, right? And I mean, parenting aside, but what that made me think about with you and your kids is that as a guide, I was a guide for 20 years mm. and you, I, I remember repeating the same section of Murray River for 20 years. Mm. Now you mm-hmm. have to, you have to, I'll, I'll, at least I found myself, there was a beautiful familiarity with that section of river. Mm. And yet there was an awful lot of deja vu and my golly, am I really on this same stretch of ever again? <laughs> I yep. imagine parenting is much the same. Where you you're in the doldrums of parenting or the doldrums of guiding, you have to reinvent it. You totally. have to try and bring the optimism, and you have to dr- bring differences. Mm. And so sometimes doing something that is really mundane or you're downtrodden, you gotta you gotta think of it differently. Otherwise, mm. life's just crap. Mm. So you you know that's kind of one of my reinvention tools is that you reinvent it so that nothing's ever boring or nothing's ever mundane. Mm. How much of that is mindset? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I heard yesterday in a fleeting car ride from my mum's to my place, you know, I was in the car for 10 minutes and I listened to this great conversation with a psychologist and she, and so, and the, and the, the presenter asked exactly that. What is mindset? Ooh, and, and it's good question. Well, and, and mindset is just, is our, is our, yes, our boxes and shapes of things that we bung in there, you know, a bit like adventure being three things, and when it's so, it's like a set. It's a set of adjectives or a set of words that you uh, attribute to that very thing. Mm. And so you go, and so you've got this expectation, and you have all of these 
thoughts and ideals based on these sets, these, this mindset of things. So let's say you choose not to use just that set of words or you try and expand on them. Well, then your mindset is, is expanding and, and that means your mindfulness or whatever is expanding too. So I thought that was a really good answer, the one that they gave yesterday. I'd never thought of it as so, and of course, it's just another metaphor that we use, but it was, it was appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I feel like if you can change some of those narratives, like the same section of the Murray River, instead of it being boring or mundane, it's actually fresh or it's, you know, it's it's cold today and last time it was hot or something like changing some of those basic descriptors mm-hmm. can really change your experience of those things as well. Totally. Um, you, I think at some stage too, you've got to let it own you. Oh, you know, interesting. I, I yeah. You've got, you've got to own, oh God, am I really here again? Because I have, mm-hmm. I remember sitting under a gum tree on, I'd done my third back-to-back trip in five weeks on that same section, section yeah. of river. Yeah. It's not so bad when you go back year after year, but three three trips yeah. uh, almost in four weeks or something, five weeks. I thought, Probably with the same know. dramas, none of the same oh. students, but the same dramas and the same servo and the same everything. Yeah. 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 And the grass is never greener than those kind of environments. You know, I sat up mm-hmm. against a tree, beautiful, pleasant scene, but I sat mm. there and thinking, shit, am I really doing this again, Barry? Is this your mm. life? Are you just going to repeat, yeah. repeat, repeat, yeah. repeat? repeat? Mm-hmm. And where's the beauty in repeat? I want newness and I want some sort of volatility and Interesting. it was so bloody predictable. It wasn't funny, but by owning it, I kind of had to think, well, well, I am going to come back here next year and probably the year after and the year after that and so on, because I love my job and I love mm. where I'm at. So yep. Yep. bloody get, get your creative hat on Bo and reinvent it. Son. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've been at for the last five or eight years. My mom used to say only boring people get bored, Joel. So Boom. if it's, bo- if it's boring, yeah, she's a legend. She knows what's up. Yeah. No, that's gold. Yeah, that's very true. I, I and I'm I I, haven't, I was bored as a kid. I remember it, and I remember my old man pulling me up on it, and I've never been bored since because yeah, of yeah, their, their sense of well, get snap out of it, son. Go do something that's exciting, yeah, or go, yeah. think of it something differently. Bloody, take your shirt off. I don't know. Do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if in doubt, take your shirt off. I think that's good advice. Yeah, as well. Exactly. I've, uh, I've heard you say before on expedition. I I, I can't recall if this is in a film your book or, you know, one of the many podcasts I stalked you on before sending you an email to be on mine. Um, <laughs> but, but you said on expedition, one of the only things you can rely on is your own significance. And I thought that was a really interesting insight. And I think, you know, taking it face value, it could sound like, you know, aren't we all so significant? Aren't we all so clever? Aren't we all so important? But actually I, the way I heard it was, a really um, through the lens of humility, you have a really, really grounded idea of who you are, what you're on expedition to do, and and um, how you're planning to interact with those expedition experiences. So I think it's a bit of a long-winded question, but um, tell me a bit about what the word humility means for you, particularly in that context of expedition and of adventure. Well, it's a really good pickup from you because I've been pulled up before by saying that I've overemphasized the idea of that significance or individualism or our right to go out and have these experiences mm-hmm. because fundamentally the, hum- the humility to me, especially now as a 40-something-year-old and not as a 20-year-old, is that I know that many or most, if not all, modern-day expeditions are meaningless to the greater humanity. We're not trying to go and find things to save someone else or to yeah. open up lands for our king or queen. Or And, look, to be honest, most of that was exploitation. Mm. But, you know, in an educational sense, I see great value in things like expeditions, but it's still a, it's a massive privilege. 
that 5% of the world get to do or 2%. Um, mm-hmm. It costs a lot of money to go, you know, with all this fancy equipment and go up on a raft or a canoe or a yeah. fleet of something. and Get a helicopter to base camp. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and expect yeah. it or expect the helicopter when things go to crap, you yeah, know. Yeah. We just expect, yep. Oh, you know, it doesn't matter. We've got an EPIRB on us. We're fine. We've got this yeah. network yeah. of this godlike saviour that's going to yeah. come get us because yep. we've got a bloody expensive device in our pocket. So I'm, I'm very much aware of the how selfish and how bloody existential something like an expedition is. So I don't mm. take it for granted one iota, mm. but I also understand of its, I understand of its beauty and its meaningful natures, but I also understand how exclusive it kind of is too. those spaces. Mm. Mm, so mm. being, I forget, did you say relevant, how relevant you are? Uh, you, is that my the, quote? I've the, the, quote the, very, the very quotable quote was, the only thing that we can predictably rely on basically is our significance whilst we're on expedition. I got yes. my, yep. yeah, significance. Yeah, and the reason I picked that word is that, um, look, that's a bit of a self-worth thing because mm. Because we have gone past this this uh, epoch, or so many of us have, and not all of us, I've got to constantly remind myself that we're not all beautifully well fed and in somewhere warm with lots of loving people around us. And <laughs> so much lives. so, we go and find some way to break that on expedition. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. totally. Now you got to come home again just to grovel and, and try and be out there again. But um, yeah. <laughs> but because we have this propensity now to go out and do these things. Uh, yeah, you, you need to you need to be confident in there that you're out there doing it for I think in some respects mm. the right reasons and in many mm. respects you need to go out there and realize that you are worth something and you're there for a particular reason mm. and, and and it sounds selfish at face value and I, I know you saw through that but you you're pretty bloody useless to humanity if you don't know of your significance or of your impact for others around you mm. it might only be one person or, or five people mm. or a or hundred mm. if you're a teacher or something but Make sure you know it because that's what you've got to sell to them. Mm. It's hard to, to articulate. I, I always, mm. you know, I, I spent, you know, I was a, a premier scout and I was a kid and I've done heaps of stuff. You know, um, spent as much time outdoors as I can. Did the forest half marathon a couple of weeks ago and just about snapped myself in half, which was very well <laughs> worth it. But I always feel like I'm better. I'm a, I'm a more useful contributor to those around me if I've reached some sort of boundary of my own either faced it or overcome it um, in a, you know, in the context of a hike or a, a run or a paddle or whatever. Um, there's something about crossing over those boundaries which makes me more confident to be more present at home or more useful or like, it's hard to articulate, but there's something in that struggle, I think, or in that, um, yeah, in that realising I am capable or I'm not capable and I fail, but I'm still home and I'm still here and, you know, I survived or whatever. Um, yeah, the wealth yeah. of selfishness or the, the product, the, 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 you know, it's, it's very transactional. Being selfish mm. is transactional. I, and I don't think that's a bad thing um, if you're happy in yourself. And I know with my wife and I, we have a really beautiful understanding of physicality. She's an mm. ex-pro athlete, way better than me, right? I'm a bloody, I'm, I'm a good junkyard athlete and then I'll just go out and do stuff for long periods of time. I happily beat myself up. She's far more acute. She was a really good just a bloody awesome athlete but yeah for her and i there's, not there's surgeons and there's butchers yeah 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 so yeah exactly i'm a cook she's a chef she's the Love real it. deal man and yeah. so she she just she needs to be outside five hours a week hammering her body and when i say hammering as in sweating seeing mm-hmm, feeling mm-hmm. like i do and that's why that's why we're married now that 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 is 
gospel to both of us that we just know each of us need to go out and do those mm-hmm. things and sometimes it, it's at the detriment of the other parent or, mm-hmm. but it's totally worth it you know i'd like i'd rather grovel through with two kids that are sick in a crappy space for a couple of hours just so helen can go for a walk or i could go for a run yeah and we're better for it it's a really good totally. form of yeah. transaction so i'm good in kids seeing you do that stuff too but that might be another another yarn for another day yeah, yeah. um uh another thing that often comes through in your work i find is is food you're obviously a food and i think you in your book you talk about being a food lover um but again it's it's not a source of uh you're a butcher when it comes to food you're not a surgeon can you tell me a bit more about your relationship with food and i'm keen to have a great a great food story like a great what's your favorite camp food you've ever had or your favorite yes in fact i'm just totally gonna i'm gonna give you a massive scoop here joel awesome it's been bumped twice right i've got this and i hope i hope because your listeners are gonna you know no doubt you're gonna take over the world and a lot of people are gonna listen to your podcast but uh, (laughs) in terms of in terms of this idea i hope no one steals it but it's called um foodie versus eaty right so you've got all these foodies out there and i'm not Mm -hmm. a foodie but i am an eaty i love food Absolutely, but I don't mm-hmm. like it all wrapped up and massaged in in a ninety eight dollar main like a like some people would. Yeah, gotcha. I just yep. in fact, I kind of detest it. There's lots about <laughs> it I detest, and th- and that's that. I could go into that, but so my sister's a foodie. She's a really lovely foodie. She's a real earthy foodie. And Paul right. West, that great great character from um, River Cottage, mm-hmm. who I really like. I did a book event with him a, a while back, and so myself, my sister. And Paul are going to go out and spend a couple of days on an island. And it's all going to be about our food choices. And it's all about food and what you get sick of and how long you prepare for something and Amazing. how things go off or, you know, the sandflies eat something or a goannas, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all, it's a call foodie versus or eaty versus foodies. And so it's me against these two characters that are right into the whole, they've got books about food, you know, and yeah, I, I yeah. love the idea that, uh, and once again, it comes back to our kind of, um we've kind of survived we're in this epoch now where we we've got all this remarkable choice of foods and how mm-hmm. our olive oil has to come from a particular part of italy to make that salad right and, I, and i'm i'm a, i'm thinking i'm not so sure that salad needs that particular kind of olive oil i think it's probably okay <laughs> without it <laughs> you know? yeah yeah, not the twenty-three dollar uh, one. The twenty-one dollar one would be fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, when, <laughs> yeah, I feel when that. people, ah, oh, oh, wine. Don't get me started on wine. Jesus Christ, I think that's the biggest con of all time. But <laughs> I love wine, right? And that's why I think it's a con. But yeah, yeah no, food is important because, and I, I mean, I always knew it do, and we all do. Uh, but it's a very abstract thing to say that we are what we eat because mm. we we kind of say it and we kind of know it, but we don't feel it, and when. And when I only ate beans for 40 days to try and get this relationship with what I eat and how I feel, I didn't want, I didn't care for the science. Everyone said, Bo, what are your vital signs and what's the science behind? I did it kind of as a side project. Mm. And yeah, okay, some things were right, way up and some things are way down, but I don't care. I wanted to know how I felt. Mm. And it was super fascinating. And Joel, it was very much an insight into um, food is is what I am. It's what I can think. It's what I can mm. do. It's my mm-hmm. fingernails. It's my eyelids. It's it is everything. And so, yeah. anyway, I mean, it, it makes. I mean, that's an obvious thing to say, and yet it's not an obvious thing to feel. And that mm. was the point of that film. Mm. And made a great film too. Um, and so, I think what's easy to underestimate there is the relationship between like our almost our mental state or our mindset, as we talked about before, and 
what we're putting into our bodies. And I think it goes beyond even just food, but like what media you're consuming, the sorts of people you're hanging out with, the books you're reading, you know. The view, yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. Yeah, Mm -hmm. how hot the room is. Yeah. I mean, of course, it, it just this is where this philosophy stuff comes in. Mm. I, I, I'm torn, right, because my wife and I want to build a new house, mm-hmm. but I love my shitty old shack on a beautiful <laughs> patch of earth because yeah. it's six degrees in the morning and 20 by the end of the day and you've got mm-hmm. to wear seven jumpers and then take them off as the day warms up. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, our new house would probably be that, that magnificent 22-degree rammed earth, bloody perfect <laughs> environment. I'm not sure I want to live in that joint you know yeah so. yeah 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 man the the, the the toughness of a modern man hey like oh right, look yeah, I, make, I, I just wonder, but you're totally onto it everything that feeds our senses totally it, yeah uh, it feeds who we are you know our identity is our five senses or our ten senses, or whatever many you think you've got totally uh, you know i think uh, it's awesome but but really exploiting those senses to try and get some points of difference mm. is kind of what i'm you know it's a bit of a stick of mine well, EC versus foodie sounds like a that'll be a great laugh and very, very interesting as well. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, it'd be fun. Have you got an island in mind or is it secret? I do. Secret yeah, location? I do. Um, I do. It's a really cool island. I've, I've guided in this place for a long time and it's it's a, such an underwhelming place, which I think it's magnificent. It's magnificent yeah. for its underwhelmingness, but I don't think And anyone, simplicity think probably it, then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's very much, yeah, I don't think anyone would ever have spent a night there, but maybe. Um, anyway, it's super tidal and uh, and very, yeah, I just think it would be fantastic. We're yeah, going to cool. eaten alive by bloody bugs, and I hope they do too. I hope my sister and Paul have a hell of a time. <laughs> maybe you need to introduce some bugs to the menu just to like, you know, <laughs> That's t- right. t- t- take on there that. There you go. So uh, best expedition meal you've ever had, what would it be? Well, I don't know about, I mean, I love fresh stuff. So whenever I catch fresh fish, which I don't do anywhere near enough of, I didn't do anywhere near enough of in Africa because I was so just uh, mm. desperate for distance and, mm. and complicated things too. You'd have to, yeah, I only did yeah. it the once or twice over there and it was a pain. Yeah. But um, here on smaller pottering trips, I love fresh food. But, um, oh, look, I'd go simple. So I did a full expedition with students once, nine days sea kayaking, and all I took was, as my main carb was couscous. I just took just couscous. couscous. Just yep. couscous. That was pretty much it. I'd skip breakfast. Mm-hmm. I'd have a, a big warm lunch and a big dinner, which sort of got my carb load all the way through to the next day. Yeah. And all I had with it was parmesan cheese and soy sauce. Amazing. And yeah, and and it was a you know, okay. So going back to your wine or my wine rant or my olive oil rant, I must admit though, quality soy sauce is worth its weight in gold compared to the cheap mm. stuff. So mm-hmm. I had a really nice cheese and a really nice soy sauce and a whole wheat <laughs> couscous. And I ate that pretty much solidly for eight days, other than a few nuts and a few other bits and pieces. Amazing. That was great. Coming up after a quick beat, we talk about love more about food and we hear about the work that Bo has coming up in the pipeline. Stay tuned. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people obsess over food uh, uh, like that and I, I tend to sometimes, but after the bean experiment, Joel, I can tell you my one big profound uh, takeaway there was I, I have not craved a food since and probably well I don't know if I ever will oh that's that complete that completely rid me of cravings of any kind wow so a bit I just of a don't reset food now. yeah that's totally wild. like a genuine I'm not trying to I'm not trying to just be 
be cool. I mean, I just don't crave food anymore. And I used to crave licorice, fresh milk, apples, bananas. I just, all those things I love, I'd crave mm. them. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, I hanker for a banana right now. I just don't, I don't say that in my head now any, anymore. I wonder how much of that is psychological, like the, the, because there's some physiological stuff that goes along with craving, surely. I'm not a scientist. My wife's a dietitian. She'd probably know. Like, no, all the yeah, you, you should totally workshop that tonight and get hmm. her on. I mean, you've probably had her on the show, but get her on and talk about that because, uh, I mean, I imagine it has a lot of the dopamine sort of things where you, totally. you, yeah. you've got this hang-up with the sugar bang of things mm. that you often crave. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I, I imagine it's both, yeah. Mm, very, very interesting. Um, changing gears a little bit. Tell us what you love, Bo. What do you love? I really like, uh, I think that I've read people write about this before. Robert McFarlane, magnificent writer. I must get in contact with him. I'd love him to read my next book. I'm writing my other book at the moment, but I'll, oh, I'll cool. tell you about yeah, that. Yeah, tell me more about but, that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love, you know, I went for a run yesterday and I love looking at a, a forest uh, and seeing little pockets of forest as I drift through, because I, I, I very rarely am I just still in a forest, which is really a bad thing. I should be still in a forest or a bush more. But as I'm going through at runner's pace, I'm very familiar with that that runner's pace as, a, as you know, your peripherals that just forest is moving around you. But you're able to you're able to um, uh, focus on something that's your middle distance or far distance for maybe a, you know thirty seconds, a minute sometimes if it's far enough away. And to see these little moments where you see something beautiful in the forest and you probably have that thought. It's a very ego-driven thought. I'm the only human to see this particular scene at this particular moment in this light and, and, and you have that agelessness or that sense of being very special, mm. which also, mm. which all it's a very special thing. You think I've captured this little thing in my lens and through my eyeballs and it's, and it's computering now and here I'm having... A conversation with you about it but it's also very scary too because i know that i'm the only one to see that ever um mm. but who gives a shit because <laughs> it's just because yeah. I, it's very hard to translate to other people as well mm. and mm-hmm. there are a billion of those scenes every nanosecond of the world to all the people in the world so mm. who cares what makes it so special to you so it's how you make it special or how you think it's meaningless and mm. I, I sometimes wax between them but i love the idea i love the thought of the meaningless or the meaningful natures of that little moment mm. that's really interesting i reckon it gives that's a universal experience i think like that absolutely but I can't articulate to you exactly how it felt for me, but I know what you're talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's like this bond that I think humans can share. Beauty is it's very subjective, but it's everywhere, you know, and it, it's happening all the time. Mm, very. Well, I mean, that, yeah, that, I mean, that's, I mean, even aesthetic, you know, you say the word aesthetic to people and they always think <clears> it's sublime or beautiful or something very attractive or pleasing. But there's no such thing as an aesthetic that's only pleasing. And in fact, the true definition of the word, and you don't want to lock it up into a true definition, but it's 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 not just you can't have home without a way, and you can't have beauty without something so-called ugliness or or not as pleasing. Um, so aesthetic only ever is relevant if you have some counterpoints to it. And, and I yeah, I, I love those tensions of when we think mm. about them like that. Mm. Well, particularly when it comes to our forests and our oceans and things that are under such threat yep. as well. But again, maybe that's another another sad conversation for another day. Um, tell us what you're working on. You said you're in the middle of the, the second book. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, Bad River, the series, is going to come out. It's going to finally come out after, I think it feels like two years of pre-production and shooting Brilliant. and post-production yeah. and getting across the line with Screen Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes out at the end of the month, uh, the first episode of four. We're going to drip feed them throughout the rest of the year, but the first awesome. one comes out, we just want to get it out there and just start mm-hmm. that ball, ball rolling. And I'm writing a- with it as well. Oh, so it's a, the, the book relates to the films. Yeah, well, the, the yeah, book cool. relates to films. Yeah, the films have all been shot. Uh, they're mostly made. Um, and, yeah, as I say, the, the first Bad River, which is uh, in Cook's River in Sydney, so it was mm. filmed in Sydney. So it's an exploration of our key rivers in Australia that are under threat and I think, as you put it, are sick. Yeah, so yeah. bad. And, look, I'm, I'm, I'm torn, Joel, because, you know, you're probably an optimist to survive as well. And I, I worry that this that, that a negative title is 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 playing into the the hands of mm. naysayers and people that don't give a shit about the world or whatever. But yeah. I don't like yeah. it being a negative form of title. But essentially, these are the unhealthiest rivers in Australia or most at risk mm. uh, that I went and explored uh, last year, either on foot or in a canoe or raft or on a you know did a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and they weren't my they weren't my optimistic self, so they've been hard stories to tell. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm writing the book with the film series. I'm looking forward to it as a you know lover of our rivers and um, a beneficiary mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, I think we've got a. They're not dead rivers; they're just bad rivers that need help, right? And well, that's uh, right. Yeah. So I mean, in, you think long geological time; these rivers will be fine, but it's whether they're fine in 12 years or whether they're fine in 1200 years, and and we've got that capacity to to change that that time scale uh because yeah rivers are older and bigger and bolder than us but the, i mean the the river in queens in uh queenstown in tassie for example that has no life can't live in it it's just it's it's dead sure. it's ecologically dead the banks aren't the banks are vibrant but as soon as you mm. get to the water's edge you'll bloody die and so um that's horrible that's yeah. bloody horrible we need to change the natures of that water so it can get back to being whatever it was well, thank you for doing that work. I think it all starts with awareness, right? That's the first step in a journey towards progress. So, well, I hope so, so mate. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just some bloody lucky white bloke down there having a grizzle, and I and I'm trying to get myself <laughs> out of that position. Red-headed white bloke. So you're not entirely. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, uh, hey, I'm conscious of time. You've been super generous. I mean, I could yarn for for weeks, um, but uh, again, shifting gears a little bit. Tell us about some of your sort of formative favourite resources, books, films, podcasts. What do you kind of go to as your touchstones for, for the work that you do? Uh, I, 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 you know, I don't know where I am on the spectrum of being easy to uh, inspire or hard to inspire. I think, um, I think I have enough in my tank to last me for a couple of lifetimes in terms of why I get up in the morning and why I'm optimistic by nature and, I, you know, I, I burn the oil sometimes. I go for it. And I realise that and I know that I'm lucky to have that disposition. So I kind of, I, I don't need much inspiration. Um, when I, and I use this as a metaphor sometimes, I don't know if it's fair or not, but when I learnt guitar years ago and I haven't played since and I should, I never learnt any one songs. I just learnt some chords, right? I wanted mm. to learn some sound so I could then make my own music. I wasn't mm. interested in learning someone else's music. And I'm a bit the same with stories, a bit the same with writing, and yet I'm constantly reading other people's work and I'm constantly watching snippets of others, but I'm not a big TV watcher or a film watcher or a sport watcher or whatever. I, I, uh, I can take some snippets and expand on uh, quite a lot, you know? Mm. Yeah. Right. So I, yeah. I, I paid my subscription to the, the New York times this week and I, and I'll, 
I'm sport for choice. So I've, you've got all this, these amazing writers out there and thinkers. Mm. And, and so I, I tend to just read the first page or two. And if it's really good, I'll keep going. But mm. otherwise, I've taken the, something enough from their writing and I can move on to someone else's. Mm. Mm-hmm. I never read a book these days if it's not bloody great. Yeah, I just right. won't go past page 10 or page 7 if it's not got me. Mm-hmm. There's so many books out there. So, yeah, we don't uh, have to. You don't have to suffer a bad book, you know. You, you can, just don't. Yeah. I, I respect people that do, but I kind of don't either. I think, gee, come on. You just. I'm, I say that. I've said that with my new book. I say it in page two. I said, if you're not grabbed by page seven and a half of this thing, burn the bloody thing or give it to someone who <laughs> give you it to someone like. you hate. <laughs> yeah, just don't don't waste your time. So I'm, I'm all for that. Love that. Um, I was going to say final question. I have two more questions for you. The next one is if you were to meet a much younger Bo, uh, the Bo that wrapped his car around a tree when he had a bit too much to drink that night, a little story yep, from yep. the book, a little preview. Good on you, man. Um, uh, what would you say to a much younger Bo? Would you have any advice for him? I, I don't think ambition hit until I was about 25. I can almost tell you the place that the ambition. I, I was never ambitious. I do. I remember having explicitly the thought of when I was 21 at university still, geez, I, geez I'm having a good time. I don't really want to grow up because I want to keep getting drunk and chase girls around and, and have a fun time. I, I didn't have this great burning ambition to bow to be something. I'm not really sure I've got that now, but I wonder if I was to be more ambitious as a younger bloke if I would have discovered my truer voice earlier um i don't know whether academia was a smart move for 10 years i enjoyed it i really enjoyed it but i it it wasn't unleashing my potential as and whatever potential is i might have hit my max now in terms of my writing ability or filmmaking ability but i probably should have given it a crack earlier like full blown Mm -hmm. so i would and i tend to say that now with school groups or with young people or anyone who's a little lost because I've I've ne- I've had a, such a great life, right? So I'm not I don't have any regrets. Mm. But I I do say this to young people now. Say you bloody take no prisoners. And I don't say this to be to be the guy that gives this advice. I'm I'm saying this. Do exactly what you want. Do exactly what you want. You're better for humanity. You're better for yourself. You're better for your partner. <laughs> Anyone you that you were a you know, just do what you want to do. And if that is Drawing doodles or being a collector of something, whatever, just whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Back yourself. Yeah, it's good advice. Very good advice. Yeah, yeah. Earn less money and do more. It's yeah, just, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm stoked. I'm earning less money now because it feels less pressurized, and um, I don't know. But I'm lucky to say that too. I, I know all this. I know the luck is mm. there. Mm. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, thank you. It's great advice, and uh, I think a nice, um, a nice summary of you know my understanding of how you view the world. It's, uh, it's, it seems congruent with your writing and films as well. So my last question for you: My kids have murdered me if I didn't ask you. One of your early films, it might have been the first one that you published, uh, Green Kayak. It's a great film. Anyone who hasn't seen it, recommend going and watching it. Uh, but at the very end, you're hiking for a few days. So we're, just, we're desperate to know, what happened to your kayak? Did you leave it on the beach? Is it still there? We went back. Yeah, you we were back. able to yeah. go back yeah. and get it. It was, a, it, was, it was harder than I thought to get back. It was right in the middle of nowhere in a sense. But there were dirt roads all the way and it, and it was dry. It was really bone dry. So my two-wheel mm. drive old brown car could get back and get it. So, yeah, we went back and got the kayak. And Nice. It was great. hadn't been hadn't been fiddled with, hadn't been touched, of course, and mm. uh, there were no footprints on the beach. And it was and it was one of those strange things to go back and get a kayak out of. You know, you've you've left it alone. You've left your mate in the dunes. It was yeah. kind of strange. Your uh, steed, was, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was an. It was an unusual trip that, but that, it was very. Def- it was life defining. Uh, mm-hmm. Those that that paddle. It, it was the first time I'd been alone in those measures before, and it was an excellent, excellent sort of building identity. Such gnarly country too. Was it the Research Archipelago and one yeah. other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Noitz Archipelago, the Research nice. Archipelago, yeah. and the, the Joseph Banks Group. So I did mm. anywhere between seven days and ten days out in these three island chains when I was twenty three. Uh, and yeah, it was kind of by default too, you know, because that was supposed to be a bloke's trip. At the end of the university, we all we all finished our university degree. We were going to go paddling together, but they got my two best mates got girlfriends, and that was it. I was left by myself. I thought, right, I'll just take an old schoolmate and I'll bugger off cross country and go paddling by myself. And, and lo and behold, it kind of defined things from then on. Amazing. Well, it was a great trip, great film, and uh, very much worth a watch. Mate, I have so many more questions, but why don't we wrap it there? Uh, where can people check out your work and, and hear more about your films as they happen? Well, just go book. straight to the website if you want, bowmiles.com. Otherwise, yeah, just check me out on YouTube. That's, that's where I make money these days. So your uh, tenth of a cent watch is much appreciated. Thanks for tuning in and apologies for the abrupt end to the recording there. I uh, stupidly messed up the settings in Zoom, uh, which may not be the worst thing. I probably needed someone to stop me from gushing like the big fanboy I am of Bo's work. I've chucked some places that you can learn more about Bo and his work in the show notes. If you've got teeth and you want to clean them with something beautiful, head to biglittlebrush.org and we'll catch you next time on The Good Sesh. Thank you.